0: Welcome to the ICAW Insights in Focus podcast. I'm Philip Alam. Today, we're discussing the pros and cons of crypto and its impact on the work of finance professionals. The collapse of crypto exchange and hedge fund FTX in December took $8 billion of its customers' money with it and raised fresh questions about the sector – Fans claim crypto will revolutionise how businesses and customers interact and, potentially, democratise the global flow of money. For detractors, the sector is little more than an unregulated casino, rife with opportunities for investors to lose their money. Finance professionals are caught in the middle. So where could or should crypto go next, and how significant might it become? I'm joined by Paul Munson, formerly of the Financial Conduct Authority and now Head of Financial Crime at social investment app Shares. Esther Maloa, ICAW's Head of Technology Policy and Vivian Arts, Data Privacy Expert and currently serving at the Global Coalition to Fight Financial Crime, are also with us. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here. Hi, Hi, good morning. Paul, crypto, it's a big subject. Uh, For the purposes of this podcast... We're going to limit ourselves to cryptocurrency. We're not going to be talking about things like non-fungible tokens, or other assets like that. Most people, I think, have heard of Bitcoin. Some people will be familiar with Ethereum or Tether. Can you just give us a quick explanation of how they work?
1: If we start with Bitcoin, the most established and the greatest market capital coin, it works on the principle of a blockchain, which is an open ledger, which details transactions. That ledger is immutable, so those transactions cannot be changed. I won't go too much into mining, but mining is effectively where a collection of transactions are brought together and a mathematical equation works. And that's what the miners do. And they're looking to solve that equation. They then release the next blocks on the chain and are rewarded. They actually get six bitcoins each time a a miner solves that equation.
0: So that's a key advantage, that immutability, obviously. But the blockchain, just to be clear, it's not managed by any individual organisation it's maintained by all its participants. Would that be a good way it's to It's like it? an
1: ecosystem, yes. It's maintained by those that use it and verify it, and it relies on the fact that there are rules to govern how it's used and how the transactions are mined. Nothing sits behind it as well. It's very important to say that, unlike a stable coin or something else. We're not going to go into that, but you know, it's not pegged to any currency or gold or anything of value its value is only the the, the value placed in its use itself you know in those in those transactions it being used as a mechanism for those transactions
0: yeah which brings us to volatility which we'll yeah. definitely get to so Vivian how big is the
2: sector do we actually know it is enormous it's estimated to be in excess of one trillion dollars in value. And it is an area that is attracting a huge amount of interest because it is worth so much. But the lack of confidence around how is it regulated, what are the risks that you're taking, is putting people off. But given not only the value today, but the potential value, there's a huge amount of interest
0: in it, something we have to address. I mean, who is investing in it now then? Because as you say, if institutional investors are wary, I mean, we've all heard about the criminal element, and presumably that is still
2: a substantial factor, is it? There's always a criminal element in any kind of financial structure. But there are innovators who are creating products and services on the blockchain. And then there are individuals like ourselves who want to invest. And then there's financial institutions who can provide services and products to help service whatever it is that is taking place on the blockchain. So the blockchain, it's a bit like the Internet. It's a base. And then actually you can create lots of things on it, one being cryptocurrencies, another being digital assets and so on. Everyone has a potential stake in the blockchain and in cryptocurrencies, and it's definitely the way of the future. The question is, is how do we get there in a safe and
1: regulated way?
0: Yeah, I mean, Paul, do you want to lay out the specific risks for investors? We mentioned volatility.
1: Well, it's hugely volatile. So it's cyclical, it goes up and down. I think I touched on it. But you know, there's nothing that sits behind it. So it has no intrinsic value. It's only the value placed on it by consumers, certainly with the likes of Bitcoin. There are exceptions, as I said, like stable coins, where, where they might be pegged to a currency. Volatility, I think the other thing is like any new investment, it's risky if you don't understand people who aren't that experienced with it, you really need to get into how it works. If it's a use case, is it legitimate? Are the people in those business legitimate? You know, it's a bit like a due diligence exercise, like I do a lot. I work in financial crime, you know, and that's really what you're looking at. That may be hard for a consumer, I suppose, and that's that's the issue because it's new territory. Where do they then go and find reliable advice? Criminals are always early adopters of everything, so they are there. So are lots of legitimate investors. But it's it's a very it's very new territory. It is used heavily in terms of crime and has historically been used and still is sort of cyber attacks and things like that, cyber related crime. So it may be some of that. But also there is there is a lot of legitimate money in it and a lot of legitimate interest moving into it. You certainly, yeah. you know, there's hedge funds moving into it. Proper, you know, banks are, are very much considering that they may not be in that space. But it's but it's 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 becoming more mainstream.
0: Yeah, I mean that's what I'm trying to get at really. Because when you say legitimate investors, I mean we're talking about you know, private individuals, day traders. But the the more substantial institutionalised end of investors, still wary?
2: Very wary. And I think a lot of it's to do with the fact it's decentralised. So who do you go to when something goes wrong? And it is decentralized and it is borderless. And these are very key concepts in this whole mechanism. So who is the regulator? And what we're seeing is certainly Sir John Cunliffe at the Bank of England, when FTX went down, said we must regulate this space. There's a lot of intention. What we haven't seen is a follow through and what that might potentially look like. Because until we know where we can go to for recourse, if something goes pear-shaped, then there's a lot of concern around voluntary volatility, certainty, and the legitimacy of it.
0: Yeah, and I want to get into the question of regulation. Actually, Esther, that brings me directly to you, because this is the basis of problems for financial professionals, isn't it? Can you lay those out for us?
3: I think at the same time as the banks and institutional investors are wary for the reasons that Vivian have been laid out, I think at the same time there's a fear of being made irrelevant or being left behind, and that's where they're dipping their toes into the waters, so to speak, so most of them will have experimented a little bit with cryptocurrency, even if they're not fully on board with it, and we're seeing the same thing happening with central banks as well, so it's not cryptocurrency in the same sense, but because of this fear of being left behind or being irrelevant, the they are also starting to exactly to to get involved in that that is interesting,
0: so in terms of financial professionals dealing with cryptocurrency now. Can you lay out the difficulties for us there?
3: One of the first difficulties is that cryptocurrencies don't fit neatly into the current boxes that accounting standards provide. So for example, there's institutions or shops that would accept cryptocurrency as cash, but then cryptocurrency doesn't fit the accounting definition of cash. And similarly, it doesn't fit the accounting definition of financial instruments. So there's this question about where they would fall into and therefore how they should be treated. And usually what happens is that they fall into the category of intangible assets. And that's where we've got some standards that relate to intangible assets or to inventories that can be used for crypto but they don't provide the full scope of guidance. So, for example, generally financial professionals and accountants are interested in measuring, reporting, auditing. And one of the biggest challenges with cryptocurrencies is measuring the value of the currency. So, as we've said before, there's usually no real asset that backs them. So it's quite difficult to determine what their value is. For some of the guidance that's given in the standards around using, for example, fair value to measure the value of the assets, that only works for cryptocurrencies where there's an active market. If that doesn't exist, again, it's quite tricky um, yeah. to, to measure. To benchmark it.
0: Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. I mean, FTX, the the exchange that collapsed in December, that was audited, wasn't it? Before it went down, it was, uh, yes. you know, which kind of raises questions. I mean, demonstrates everything you've been saying, doesn't it, about the inefficacy of audit in this space?
3: For a lot of these companies, they don't have to be audited because they're not listed. And where an audit is conducted, there might not be adequate guidance. on on how the audits should be conducted. So, for example, following FTX, a lot of the crypto exchanges decided to provide their proof of reserves. But even with that, there isn't specific guidance on what should be included in a proof of reserves. So we saw situations where, for example, they would only give information about the assets. For crypto exchanges where they're custodians, some of those assets don't belong to them. They belong to clients or customers. And that's not visible from that proof Mm. of reserves.
0: There's a lot of work to do here, isn't there? The audit professional's view is presumably, I mean, is this actively work in progress trying to address these questions
3: within audit? I know some of the big audit and accounting firms have started to invest in blockchain auditing technology. And so that's something that is happening. And I think another thing to note is that in terms of the auditing, themselves. We've had some of these companies say that currently auditors don't have the skills to be able to audit some of these exchanges. But then I think it's important to note that a lot of the issues that could happen with cryptocurrency would be around things that already exist. So governance, internal control processes, not necessarily all of it having to do with the technology itself. Understood.
0: So Paul, if we're moving on to regulation, yep. which seems to be where we're getting to, doesn't it? How does it work here in the UK right now?
1: Well, there's five permissions. The most important ones are f- fiat currency, i.e., any, any currency, pounds, euros, dollars. That's fiat in crypto terms. So, crypto to fiat exchange is, is one of the regulated activities. And you, you basically, you register with the FCA under the money laundering regulations. That's how it works. Then they do an assessment of you as a business. Uh, so, it's like an audit in itself. It's not, you know, they, they look at your AML controls, they look at your financial position as a business. So the other regulated activity is custodian, being a custodian, as you said, or a VASP, a virtual asset service provider. There is peer-to-peer exchange, but that's higher risk. So I don't know. I don't actually think there are any firms authorised to do that in the UK, but I might be corrected. And finally, there's crypto or Bitcoin ATMs. That's where you can buy buy crypto with cash. There are definitely none of those Approved. There were some prior to it being coming, coming under the FCA's remit, but they are incredibly high risk because you can basically put cash in and buy Bitcoin.
0: So, if operators who aren't licensed, they still exist, don't they? They can still Yep, They can be going through trade. the process.
1: Um, there was what they called a, a temporary permissions regime, and also if you look at the numbers, the FCA had about two hundred firms apply, and thirty three got through. So, it was a very high bar to being approved. Now those firms haven't gone away. They may still be sort of targeting UK consumers. I, th- I think I was thinking about regulation. What should consumers do? Maybe look to see if the, the exchange they're dealing with is UK licensed. Is it on the? F- F- you can check the FCA register. That might be a way that um, you, you, the people listening to this podcast can help themselves and, and prepare themselves. But yeah. there are a lot of big exchanges that are not on the FCA register. You'd be surprised, to be honest.
0: But doesn't that make the licensing regime
1: largely meaningless? It's about policing the perimeter because if you have a very large firm and, so, and some of the largest firms in the world are operating, are supporting UK customers and do not have a licence, I won't necessarily name them in this podcast, no. but people could find out if they wanted to quite easily.
0: Vivienne, it sounds concerning. I mean, what, what do you think we need to, to beef that system up? Well, I think what's interesting is that
2: we have so much existing legislation that can be applied to the crypto space. But there are also gaps and there's also unique elements to crypto, which mean that we have to be creative or innovative in terms of regulation. And this is this is the gap and this is where the exposure and the risk is. So some of the reasons that there have been some of these scandals have been for things that would affect a traditional business, security, governance, auditing. Terrestrial firms go belly up because of those issues. Either what we really need to be focusing on is what is unique, what are the unique risks associated with cryptocurrencies, and that's what regulation needs to address. Now, one of the areas I'm particularly interested in is privacy, because we've talked about the immutability of blockchain. So once it's on there... It's there forever. And if you need to correct it, you can. But the original version is still there. And, of course, the privacy principles are very clear about not keeping data forever, minimizing data, confidentiality. And so it isn't just a financial services regulatory issue. It is also an issue across other regulators. And I think one of the biggest potential areas to get things right is with privacy and financial regulations because there are an enormous number of privacy issues that arise and it is not clear how those can be readily addressed in an architecture like
0: blockchain. So what would you all like to see happen right now to move this regulatory framework forward? What are the first steps we need to see? Esther, do you have thoughts on that?
3: I think there needs to be more forward thinking and I guess this is from the accounting regulator's perspective. In terms of providing guidance in how to account for cryptocurrencies. At the moment, the challenge is that because crypto is not being used to a huge enough extent to warrant spending a lot of time on it.
0: Okay.
3: Um, So it's chicken and egg. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So what we've seen is that a, a lot of the regulators say not that many companies have crypto on their balance sheets at the moment, and not that many auditors are having to deal with crypto at the moment. And so there's almost like a waiting for it to pick up more, to invest more time in providing guidance for this. But what would be good is, I think, if the standard setters helped to lead the way in that, in starting to think about what good looks like. And they are already doing that. But I think off the basis of how well do existing standards meet crypto requirements rather than, as Vivian said, um, what's largely different about crypto and what needs to happen yeah.
0: in,
1: in
3: that space?
0: I mean, estimates a very interesting point. I don't know. I and mean, Paul, what's your feeling?
1: I think on the regulatory side, they've got to think, well, they've got to address what's going on now, police the perimeter, as I said before, you know, in terms and that's, I think... You know, if you can't do it within the UK, you've then got to collaborate with other regulators and you've got, there are certain jurisdictions where they may not be up to, the. you've got to sort of act globally to deal with that. So I think that's one easy win. I think they've also got to sort of adjust and at least work with firms that are trying to do the right thing and, and want to be regulated and want to do the right thing to make sure at least their interests aren't harmed by the way regulatory activity works. Because if you set a high bar and then when you set a high bar, for example, banks switch off payments to you and you and you are a registered firm, that cannot be correct. But I, th- I think I think we've got to work on educating people that's in the regulators that's everybody you know we've got to do the right checks i agree with you what you said earlier you know the custody side it's good that they're becoming transparent and displaying the assets where they can the privacy i think the trouble with that is it's immutable it's open by its nature so how do you get around a problem like that? i don't really know how you crack that nut i mean i'm not a privacy expert but it sounds a pretty difficult one to me but i think the way the way we do it is by uh collectively working you know and, and obviously where we can but I think the trouble is it's so big and so global it's very hard to rein in
2: I think it's a really excellent point, actually, the globality of the issue. And that requires regulators not only to collaborate within a particular jurisdiction, but across jurisdictions as well, and to be focusing on outcomes rather than the process. Because I think far too often we're focusing on, does it do this, does it do that, and have you done the following six things? Actually, what we really should be focusing on is, is there accountability is there trust? If something goes wrong, what are the mechanisms to deal with it? And can I find out where to go for recourse? And of course, we have to deal with the fact that it is decentralised and figure out a mechanism for safeguarding investors in that space.
0: Yeah, I mean, in terms of engendering more trust, generally, and we touched on this idea of central banks producing their own digital currencies, Bank of England has looked at this, is looking at this, is it going to happen? When is it going to happen?
2: Well, all the big
0: economies are looking at
2: central bank digital currencies. There's the private sector ones, Bitcoin and others, based on stable coins and such like. But central bank digital currencies are definitely something of the future. And I would suggest of the near future, not the far future. And they would be pegged to a hard currency. That's
0: the key difference.
1: Yes, just for listeners. So there's a couple already. There's Tether, for example, that's pegged to the dollar, that's used a lot for liquidity in trading, is actually used in institutional firms already.
0: So, so less volatility when you're in. in yes, that.
1: exactly. It should be paired one to one with dollars. Dollars are held behind it. I won't get into the intrinsic of trading, but when it's being traded a lot, there are times when they start to unpair, and that's worrying. But 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 the, but the essential premise is yes. You know, it, it does have something sitting behind it, dollar to dollar or pound to pound. That's how a stable coin would work.
0: Okay, and you're thinking in the
2: reasonably short term, Vivian. I think so. Absolutely, innovation is moving at pace.
3: mister I agree that it's looking to be in their relatively short term. So the Bank of England, for example, their central bank digital currency, they're looking at from 2025 that they're looking to do it. I think they need to address some challenges like around what the role of banks would be with a central bank digital currency, the issues around privacy that we've already discussed as well. Um, And yeah, those are the, the things that need to be ironed out before it's implemented.
0: And obviously with legitimacy comes tax.
1: Thoughts on tax? What is coming in is there's something called the Criminal Finances Act that puts an onus on firms to prevent tax evasion. Crypto is is an area where some traders, especially if you've been in, in it for a while, since 2016, you could have made enormous gains. I mean, you know, there, there are people who are millionaires out there just on the back of, and may not even be aware that they're realising capital gains if they sell that, that coin. And that's where I think HMRC are coming in. They that I know that they're looking in that area. They've produced guidance that people can find if they want to, and I think it's something you know your 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 podcast. Uh people as as, as professionals in, 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 in accountancy would be interested, especially for their clients, because, you know, they may may, they may already be early adopters and have investments and, you know, need to think about their sort of capital gains position because it, it can be tricky and, and mining is not exempt, you know. My, you know, um,
0: Crypto mining. Yeah, yeah,
1: lots of things aren't. It's, it's quite detailed guidance, but there is HMRC guidance there. But but tax is important and, and something that, not just actually in the UK, in America, uh, it's being looked at as well. I think it's going on your statutory tax uh Report when you do it annually. You know, in the in the UK now, it's there's a box for do you own hold any, hold or own any crypto assets. So it's worth mentioning tax definitely for for the individuals and for the sort of uh, advice part of it as well.
0: Presumably, the issues that Esther raised earlier about establishing actual value for the purposes of accounting play into this. Though, I mean, there's there's huge difficulties there, surely.
3: There are, yeah, because um, in your tax return, you'd have to say what the value okay. of the crypto you hold, and is. as you
2: described, that's quite problematic. And there's an opportunity for tax arbitrage. So this is something, of course, that must be thought about when you're talking about a cross-border global reality is where do you realize the income and that will be where the tax is payable. And as we know, with the digital economy, a lot of firms are positioning themselves in particular ways in order to leverage the most accommodating tax environment. And I think we'll find the same with uh, digital currencies.
0: I'm sure we'll revisit this subject, but before we wrap this one up, can I ask you all to future gaze your thoughts on how the sector might
1: expand and time frame? One thing I can definitely see happening, we, when we touched on Ether earlier, but there's a lot of things that function on Ether. Uh, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, uh, Devolve Finance, DeFi. That is the chain they use for it, but there's a lot of sort of things operating on there they are growing and growing and growing those use cases. NFTs, for example, can be used for digital forms of art. They're being used already for tickets. Uh, You know, when you buy tickets to gigs or to the theatre, you you get that QR code now. So tokenisation is definitely a theme where, well, a company's shares could be on a blockchain and the information about that company, you know, subject to privacy and everything else, you know, but, you know, you could publish accounts there. I think that's where it's going. I can see it, you know, a way of tokenising and putting a value on a lot of those interactions, you know, and using the ledger for that.
0: Yeah,
2: interesting. Vivian. Well, I think it's very much here now, not in the future. um, But with greater clarity around what you can and cannot do, with the establishment of, I would suggest, more international and technical standards rather than regulation, certainty will be able to be delivered. And I think what we'll then see is an exponential increase of the adoption of cryptocurrencies, digital assets, etc. So it's, for me, it's more a question of speed rather than time.
3: Okay. Esther? I think the market capitalization is likely going to grow. I think people are curious. And so more people, I think, are going to invest in cryptocurrencies and to use cryptocurrencies. I mean, there's a few countries that have already acknowledged digital Currencies as currency. So I think it is going to grow. And I think it's going to also interact a lot with other technologies out there. So when you start having things like Web3 and the metaverse, people can start to buy assets in the metaverse. Yeah, because it has that agility. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I think it's something that will grow. And as Vivian said, having the right controls around it will really accelerate. The process. We are going to wrap it
0: up there, but a really useful discussion. Thanks very much indeed, everyone. The Next Insights podcast will air in early February. We mentioned audit in that discussion. We'll be discussing what the future holds for the audit profession in that episode. The Next In Focus podcast will tackle strategies to attract and retain accountancy talent. That'll be live later in February. Join us for those two. And meantime, please do rate, review and share this episode. Good or bad, we really do want your feedback.